God has blessed First Norfolk, and since June the 1st, First Norfolk has baptized 52 people since June the 1st. Uh, that is an act of God's grace and mercy, and we're thankful. When you break those numbers down a little bit, here's what you see. Uh, we baptized uh, 18 under the age of 18. That's good. We baptized 11 over the age of 35, which is great. We baptized 23 who are aged 18 to 35. Now, it's pretty unheard of to uh, uh, have that group be the largest group of baptisms. And that shows health in our church. And I, I just want you to know, we... Uh, uh, got to be careful. Our mission is not age graded. Our mission covers five, six generations every week throughout the week. We just had senior adult camp. I mean, great, awesome. But we believe it is essential for the future of the church and the future of the mission that God has given our church, that we not just be an old person's faith. I'm 50, I'll be 56 next week. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm in a category now, right? I'm in a category. Uh, if we do not aggressively, faithfully pursue the generation under the age of 35, if all we do is try to make sure that our 35 and older group is happy, if that's all we do, then our church will not last past that generation. But if we are faithful to go after with our whole heart, all generations, but lean toward the birth to 35, then we are being faithful to pass on, the, uh, pass on to the next generation the faith that has changed our lives. And I don't know if you know this, but the way we reach my age group is not the same way we're going to reach an 18-year-old. It's just not going to happen. Uh, we reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in our church, we don't do a bait and switch. What I mean by that is we're not going to give you a car so that you come and hopefully you get the gospel. Some of y'all want that, but we don't do it that way. Um, we don't do a bait and switch. We, we lead with the gospel, but we believe that the roads that we must travel demand that we um, do all that we can to make sure that we are communicating effectively uh, to the younger generation so that uh, this church flourishes in the future. By the way, we just had Dr. Hemphill here. He talked about how our church grew dramatically. Do you realize that when our church grew dramatically, it began 
uh, with majority senior adults. When he came, there was majority senior adults. When he left, the senior adults averaged about 120, where the church was averaging 2,000. And as he said last week, one of the reasons they were able to do what they were able to do, we were able to do what we were able to do. One of the reasons, able to reach the younger generations because the older generation didn't push back and create obstacles, but rather were their greatest cheerleaders. May the same be said of this generation. Many of y'all were the young people back then. Amen? Many of y'all were the young people, part of that burgeoning young adult group uh, 30 years ago. And uh, now you're in a group that gets to be cheerleader. And we praise God for that. All right? That's enough of that. Turning your copy of Scripture, Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, as we uh, are continuing this series on the Bible, here's what I want. If you're not part of this church family, or if you're not a follower of Jesus, my prayer is that today's message or talk might help you understand why it is we believe what we believe. I hope that when you walk away, you might not agree with everything that we believe, but you understand where we get it from. You understand that Um, As followers of Jesus, God has given us the Bible, which is his word to us. And because it's his word, his voice to us, because it's his word to us, we treasure it. We treasure it in such a way that we don't think it's just good advice that we can pick and choose from, follow if we want to, but not follow if we don't want to. We believe that it is absolute truth from God that gives us the the way to live and the way to think, the way to believe and the way to behave. The Bible isn't just a concoction, a compilation of good ideas, but rather the Bible, as we see it, the Bible is the absolute truth from God to us so that we might live accordingly. Okay, so as we look at today's message, we're looking at how we can get a healthy heart, not just physically, but spiritually. A healthy heart, spiritually, will produce uh, satisfaction in your relationships. It will produce wisdom in our difficulties. It clears away the fog. It gives us healthy emotions and healthy attitudes. When we are healthy spiritually, then we believe that we will walk a path that is soaked in satisfaction and consumed with contentment. We see this from the physical realm. You know, a healthy physical heart, that's important too. If you were to go to a website and you were to evaluate, all right, what does it mean to have a healthy heart? Um, Or how do I get a healthy heart? We know that heart disease, that's an unhealthy heart. Heart disease is epidemic in the United States of America. Uh, uh, there are more people who lose their life to heart disease than any other thing in the United States of America. So it's a big deal. And so the question is, how do we make sure we have a healthy physical heart? And exercise is part of that. And I'm thankful that that's one part of having a healthy heart that I do is exercise. 
But the other part of having a healthy heart is a healthy diet, and this is where not so much. Uh, having, a, having a healthy heart physically means that you have to choose some foods to eat, and you have to reject other foods to eat. You go on the Mayo Clinic, and you go on their website, it gives you eight, eight steps to a healthy heart diet. Blech. Anyway, some of the things you have to choose. You have to choose whole grains. Am I a cow? But I'm supposed to choose. I know whole grains. Is grape nuts whole grains? I'm pretend. Don't tell me if it's not. I'm pretending. That's my, that's my whole grain. All right, so, so uh, choose whole grains. Um, you have to um, choose... Here's the sticky part, uh, fruits and vegetables. Y'all, y'all know green beans, not my, that's, that's not my vibe, that's not my gift, right? I mean, I'll eat it. But anyway, so you choose, like choose whole grains, choose uh, good protein with not a lot of lean protein, right? And you choose, choose certain foods like that. Uh, but you also must reject, uh, avoid. Uh, you reject or avoid bad fat, saturated fat, trans fats. You, you have to avoid those things. Uh, you have to minimize them in your life. That means you can't put butter on your biscuit. Why would I eat a biscuit without butter? I don't know. But you can't. Right? So, so you got you to avoid, limit, reduce. They use all these language. Really, they're saying you got to choose not to do this. So you got to avoid, reduce, limit bad fats and sodium, high levels of sodium. I think a high level of sodium is a relative term. <laughs> if I eat green beans, there's going to be a high level of sodium on those green beans. You got to choose to reject those things, reject uh, the bad fats, reject sodium, other things that you choose to avoid or reject. So, so when it comes to having a heart healthy physical diet, you've got to choose to take hold of these things and reject or avoid these things. When it comes to having a heart healthy spiritual diet, it means that we must choose the word of God and reject, avoid the deceptions of sin that can tangle us up. And every person here, follower of Jesus, not yet a follower of Jesus, every person here is susceptible to the deception of sin. The key for us, if you're a follower of Jesus, the key for us. By the way, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I hope and pray that there are some things in this message that might hit your heart and you say, I need to really evaluate, you know, following Jesus business. I, I want to have a life that's soaked in satisfaction, consumed with contentment. I want that. How do I get that? And we, we pray that every time we get together, you would overhear that, that God 
loves you and desires to have a friendship with you, and the reason you're not soaked in satisfaction, you're not consumed with contentment, first and foremost is because you're separated from God by your sin, and all of us have sinned and and fallen short of what God demands and expects. But because of our sin, we're separated from the God in whose image he created us. And, and, And because we're separated from God, we are empty and incomplete. There's a hole in our life that we can't satisfy, even though we try. We'll try to satisfy that hole in our life with uh, work and, and money and possessions and pleasure and relationships and philosophy and all these type of things. We try to fill that empty spot inside of us with a host of things, but no matter what we try, even religion itself will never satisfy, will never fill that empty spot. So God seeing us in our plight and with our problem that sin has separated us from him. Your sin has separated you from God. God sent Jesus to rescue sinners like you and me. Jesus, who is God, became flesh and bone, and he dwelt among us, and and he lived his life perfectly from from his miraculous birth in Bethlehem to his uh, sacrificial death in Jerusalem on a cross. Jesus lived to satisfy God's desire. He perfectly obeyed God. He never sinned. He never did anything that was displeasing to God the Father. And as the perfect sacrifice, the only person in all creation of all time who had never sinned, Jesus went to die in the place of sinners like you and me. When he went to a cross, he didn't go there because of any crime or sin that he had committed, but he went there as a lamb to be slaughtered for your sin and for my sin. He was killed on a cross to provide forgiveness, a pathway of forgiveness to a sinner like you and me. And then he was buried in a tomb and three days later he was raised from the dead. And it's by his death on a cross and his resurrection from the dead that any sinner has an opportunity to have forgiveness forever for sin and be brought into the family of God. And the way we access that forgiveness and that family, that new life filled with a new vista of lush living and thriving, uh, a, a thriving life, the way we access that is by repenting our sin and trusting that Jesus died for our sin upon a cross, was raised from the dead to give us a new life. If we turn from our sin and trust in Jesus, the Bible says that God miraculously, powerfully makes us brand new. That's what we were celebrating with beach baptism and every baptism. We were celebrating the new life that these uh, uh, men and women, boys and girls have experienced because they trusted in Jesus and turned from their sin. It doesn't mean perfection from that point forward. I've been a believer since I was 11 years old. And I have been far from uh, from perfect. But because I'm part of God's family now, not separated, now part of God's family, under the umbrella of God's uh, grace, and because of that, I can again and again and again find forgiveness of my sin and fellowship with God when I turn to him in confession and repentance. Now, if you haven't tasted any of that, if you haven't experienced new life through faith in Christ, if you haven't experienced a forgiveness that never ends, but you'd like to, I encourage you, uh, when this 
time is over, go to the next step station, say to whoever's there, I, Eric was talking about um, becoming a follower of Jesus. Can, can you help me understand that a little bit more? We'd love to have that conversation with you. But if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, what I'm about to say might not make a lot of sense. Because what I'm about to say is if we live our life based upon a book that has been written centuries before, and we follow it and pursue it with our whole heart, we will thrive. And that might not make a lot of sense. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you understand that it makes perfect sense. And it proves to be true. So, let's look. Hebrews chapter 4. Just read verses 12 and 13. The Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. As we look at this passage, what I want us to see is that if we treasure God's word, then we will have a healthy heart. When we treasure God's word, God produces in us a healthy heart, spiritual heart, a heart that leads to health in our relationships and in our finances and in our uh, emotions and in our uh, 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 feelings, all those things. Uh, When we treasure God's word, God's word produces in us a healthy heart. This is what we hear from uh, the psalmist, Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And you might, again, jot that down. And I did this two weeks ago. I'll do it uh, the next time uh, I'm here to preach on the Bible. Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Listen to Psalm 1, 1 through 3, and listen to the promise that it makes. Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor does he stand in the path of sinners, nor does he sit in the seat of the scoffer. But blessed is the person who delights himself in the law of the Lord, and in his law, in God's law, he meditates day and night. That person who treasures God's word and meditates on it, he will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also doesn't wither, and whatever he does, that person will prosper, flourish, thrive. A healthy heart is the result of treasuring God's word. It's what Jesus was saying in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Matthew 7 24 through 27, Jesus has just finished preaching his exposition of Old Testament law. He took the law of the Old Testament and he preached on it and he filled that Old Testament ideas with the true understanding that only God could give. And so Jesus preaches about the Old Testament in Matthew 5 through 7. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. 
And when he finishes that sermon, listen to what he says. Matthew uh, 7, verse 24 through 27. He says, whoever, this is Jesus speaking, God in flesh speaking, whoever hears these words and sayings of mine and does them, he'll be like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water that brings forth, he won't, no, that's Psalm. Jesus said, whoever hears these words and sayings of mine and does them, I compare him to a man who has built his house on the rock. And the rains came, and the winds blew, and the floods rose, and the house stood because it was built upon the rock. What Jesus was saying, it's what Jesus was saying and what the psalmist was saying, what God says in both of those uh, passages is simple. When we treasure God's word, when we uh, open God's word and obey God's word, then God will produce in us a healthy life, a healthy heart, a healthy perspective, a healthy way of thinking and living. The opposite is also true. If we do not treasure God's word, then even as followers of Jesus, we will be susceptible to the disease of sin's deception. And it will create chaos and catastrophe in our lives. So today, as we look at Hebrews 4, 12, and 13, uh, verse 12 begins like this. It says, the word of God. Now, the word of God is Old Testament. Here, it includes New Testament. It's the writings that we have and have recognized for centuries now as the Bible. The word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, living and powerful. When we look at those two terms and we begin to evaluate what is it saying to us, it's telling us about God's word. We'll look at that in a second. Then it goes on, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, uh, dividing to soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We'll look at that. What does that mean? But before we can get to the what God's word can do for us, we need to understand what we must do. We must treasure God's word. What does it mean to treasure God's word? We treasure God's word when we open God's word and when we obey God's word. When we open and obey. Not just on a casual encounter, not just uh, with uh, 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 lethargy, not just with, uh, oh, it's Sunday morning, I better open my Bible. But when we delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on it day and night, Psalm 1-2. Are we opening God's word? Are we obeying God's word? All right, so there's a, a term in Japanese. Um, I, I, I always have to look at it. Tsundoku, Tsundoku, T-S-U-N-D-O-K-U. It's a word in Japanese, and here's what it means. It means a person or the act of getting books and keeping them on your bedside table or your shelf and never looking at them. One word means all that. It's, it's having 
books upon books and, and, and having them, but not reading them, not opening them. Sundoku. All right? Many of us are practicing Sundoku with the Bible. We walk around on Sunday morning, we have this thing clutched in our arms like this, but we haven't opened it. We're collecting it on our table, but we're not delighting in it by opening it. We walk around in confusion, trying to come up with the best guesses to answer the riddles of our own life, but we don't open God's Word, and we wonder why it is we're so confused and walking in a fog. We're not opening God's Word. Friends, if you're not opening God's Word, you're not treasuring God's Word. If we're going to treasure God's Word, as the psalmist said, we need to meditate on it day and night. We must open God's Word. Stop, church. Stop playing sundoku with the Bible. The book of books, God's very words to you and to me, and we treat it with contempt. We treat it with contempt when we don't open it. We treat it with contempt when we don't obey it. We treasure God's word when we open God's word and when we obey God's word. Simple. James 1, 22. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Some of us will open the word of God every day, but we don't do what the word of God will say. If we're going to treasure God's word so that we have a healthy heart, a healthy life, a healthy emotions, we must obey what the word of God says. Even the parts, maybe especially the parts that we don't like so much. Everybody here has their favorite flavor of sin. Every person. I have my favorite flavor. You have your favorite flavor. And so if we want to hold on to our favorite flavor of sin, we usually will avoid those places. If, I, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you have a favorite flavor of sin and you want to hold on to it, you don't, you don't want to let that go. What you'll do is you'll avoid places in God's word that hit that favorite flavor, calling it sin. And the way, if you're uh, religiously attuned, like I am, and, and that, I don't say that as a compliment, but you're religiously attuned, you can play the game. What you'll do is you'll be obedient in a lot of other places that don't hit your favorite flavor of sin. And you'll keep tasting and delighting in your favorite flavor of sin. And you'll think you're okay because you're being obedient in all these other places. I hope I'm not giving ammunition to anybody who wants to be disobedient. But you, you, you act like, this, oh, I'm okay. I'm okay. I go to church every week. I'm okay. I'm okay. I memorize a verse of scripture every week. I'm okay. I'm okay. I, I went out with the, um, uh, the, the church on the third Saturday of the month and helped uh, those who are food insecure. I'm okay. I'm okay. 
We do all these things and we think we're okay when in reality we're not okay as followers of Jesus because we are ignoring the deception of sin that can lead to the hardness of our own heart. It's not enough, it's not enough to be partially obedient. When I was a teenager, my dad would come up and say, Eric, I want you to, I want you to mow the yard, I want you to clean your room, and I want you to take out the trash. And if I decided, well, you know, I'll mow the yard. It's a pretty day. I need to get some sun on my lily white body. And, you know, I mean, I'll go out. You know how teenagers think. Back, back when I was a teenager, you wore these cut-off shirts. It was so sad. It was so sad. Anyway, so I'd go out there and mow the yard. But I didn't want to clean the room because, you know, it'd just get messy again. And I didn't want to take out the trash because, you know, the garbage can stank. Now, I mowed the yard, but I didn't clean the room and I didn't take out the trash. My dad comes in and says, son, what, what made you think you'd be disobedient to me? I, I'm not disobedient, dad. I, I mowed the yard. He said, he said, but you didn't take out the trash. You didn't clean the room. And he said, partial obedience is 100% disobedience. That ought to sting us a little bit. Now, please understand, I struggle every single day with full obedience to God. I don't want you to, I don't want you to walk away thinking I'm so far from hope. If you're a follower of Jesus, make no mistake, I'm in the same shoes that you're in. Every day is a journey of obedience, struggling with the deception of sin every single day. And yet, that is the standard by which we go. God's word says it, that means I must obey it. Open God's word, obey God's word. That's how we treasure God's word. But in the struggle of life, we can be swayed into the deception of sin. And that's why when we treasure God's word, God's word does work. God gets to work in us. When we treasure God's word, God gets to work in our lives. Um, I am, and, and some of you may not know this, I am the husband of Edie, and I am the father of Maggie, Mallory, Elizabeth, and Emily Catherine, four daughters. I have two sons-in-law, Brady and Will. Uh, I have two guys. They're vying for a position. <laughs> Great young men, love them, Danny and Corey. And then I've got, uh, I, I've got, oh yeah, that's what I was going to say. I, I've got two grandchildren. I have two granddaughters. My oldest granddaughter, her name is Nora. Can you, if you're a guest here, you know I've talked about this. My newer granddaughter, her name is Lucy. Yes. Oh, goodness, y'all are good. And uh, so, a lot of of ladies in my house, always, right? And because there are a lot of ladies in my house, I have a particular set of skills, unique skills that have aided me and aided my family of of ladies at the most appropriate time. You see, I have a unique set of skills that helps me untangle knotted necklaces. Now, some of y'all haven't experienced this because you don't have ladies in your house, but... 
If you have, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Let me explain. You, uh, ladies, uh, the ladies in my house will buy necklaces, and these necklaces have thin chains and thick chains, and they'll have dangly things hanging off of them, and uh, they'll have all kinds of things. And what they'll do is they'll take those necklaces off, they'll put them in a bag and a, 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 a holder. And, and I've bought those things where you're supposed to hang them on there, but they don't always use that. So anyway, so you have these necklaces, and you put two uh, necklaces in one bag, and if you keep them apart, somehow they begin to intertwine, uh, like, the, uh, uh, like uh, uh, we're starting a life group uh, for uh, nearlyweds, premarital, uh, premarriage, uh, and uh, calling it merge. It's what happens to these necklaces. They just tend to tangle up. They get all tangled up. You put two in there and then four and then five. It doesn't matter. They can be in there two seconds and those necklaces knot up into a big glob. And when they're knotted up like that, they're useless. You can't wear them. You can't wear them unless you're trying to make a fashion statement that I haven't seen anybody try to make. But they're knotted. They're useless. And the only remedy is either to throw them out and buy new necklaces, which I couldn't afford, or to untangle them. So um, every now and then my wife or one of my daughters comes and says, Daddy, can you untangle my necklaces? And let me tell you something. It's a delight. It is. It's something in me that just, I mean, for I can focus on that one knot for a period of time. And it is delightful. And I, man, I've got special tools and instruments that I use to untangle those things. And, and once you get one that you think is untangled, you see, there's a, there's a diverted chain that comes back around. I mean, it becomes, it becomes, uh, uh, crazy and, and awesome at the same time. So I'm unknotting the knotted necklaces. And when they're free, when you finally get them free and you thought it was just two necklaces and it turns out there are 22 in there, uh, you untangle those necklaces, they become useful once again. What God's word does is it gets active in our lives to unknot the mess that sin and the deception of sin creates in us. When the writer of Hebrews says that God's word is living and active or powerful, he's saying it's living. It's not some passive uh, document that uh, was good for one time but never good again. No, this is the words of God, and they are Living, They are ready to be applied to your circumstance, your situation right here, right now to apply the warnings of God and the heart of God and the mercy of God and the love of God and the joy from God and the peace from God and the hope from God and the warning of God and the promise of God. God's word comes alive when we open and obey his word. God takes his word and he applies it by his Holy Spirit to our certain situation so that we begin to see what God wants versus what we're doing or what we're thinking. And the knot of sin's deception begins to loosen. It is living and it is powerful. The term there in the Greek is energes, which means uh, 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 active. It means powerful, yes. It means effective. 
the word of God gets to work on us and the not that sin so easily creates. In Hebrews 12, the, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, we need to set our focus on Jesus, the altar and finish of our faith. Before we do that, before we can set our focus on Jesus, we've got to lay aside the weight and the sin which so easily trips us up. Hebrews 12, 1. We, we know that sin, and Hebrews 3, 13, calls uh, the deception of sin that will lead to a hardness of our heart. We know that sin is deceptive. And it will trick us, and it will trip us up. But when we devote ourselves, when we treasure God's Word, open it and obey it, then God gets to work on us and begins to untangle what sin is tangled up. So that when we look at our relationships, we're no longer looking at our relationships through the lens of a faulty, deceptive view. But now we're looking at our relationships through the clear truth of God's word. When we look at our emotions, we're no longer looking at our emotions through the faulty lens of, of culture or ideas or ideologies or sin. But now we're looking at our emotions through the clear teaching of God's word. When we begin to look at our work, we're no longer looking at our work through the faulty lens of uh, get ahead by stomping on somebody's head or cheating. But now we're looking, sin, we're, that is sin, by the way, in case you didn't know that. If you're in, if you're in work and you think it, that the only way to get ahead or to succeed at work is to uh, stomp on somebody's head and shoulders or cheat, understand that's faulty view, that's sin. So uh, we're no longer looking at getting ahead in that way, but rather God's word gets active and untangles that knot. See, God's word is living and active for where you are today. It is as applicable to your life right now as it was 2,000 years ago. And it's, it's working on you. I've said it, I'll say it again. Sin will keep us from the Bible, or the Bible will keep us from sin. The reason we treasure God's Word is because it, uh, it, it, it gives room for God's uh, uh, grace and mercy and truth and, and peace and joy to begin working in us, untangling the knot of sin's deception in our lives. But also, when we treasure God's Word, God's Word shows us who we are. God's Word shows us who we are. So, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Back to verse 12. Sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting down to the division of, of, of joint and marrow, soul and spirit. It is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of my heart. You know, the Bible is God's instrument to do heart surgery on me. To show me where sin abides. To show me where faulty ideas roost. To show me the who of Eric Thomas. Today, friends, you want to know who you are? then you need to delight in God's word. You need to treasure God's word. You need to open and obey God's word. And it shows you who you are. It shows you why, the why of you. I, 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 not, when we open God's word, God's word opens us up. It shows us the why 
Not just the who, the why of us. You don't understand why it is you uh, behave a certain way all the time. Look, there's, uh, going back to the, the deceptiveness of sin, deception of sin, uh, the favorite flavor of sin, why is that my favorite flavor? Why do you have a favorite flavor of sin? Well, there's something in you that needs to be un, 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 uh, unveiled by God's word. And so what I do is, man, I, I open God's word every day and I'm, I journal about the why of me. Not just what the Bible says, but the why of me revealed in God's Word. Instead of me, um, instead of me interpreting God's Word, God's Word begins to interpret me. Show me the why. Why am I angry? God's Word begins to open my eyes to see. Why am I um, unkind? God's Word shows me. Why, why do I struggle with uh, lust, or why am I trying to um, uh, make my own way and, and treat everybody else like dirt to get my own way? Why am I more in, interested in how people view me than what God thinks about me? What, what, why am I like I am? And God's Word begins to show me. Why am I so fearful? Why am I afraid? God's Word begins to show us and begins to give us the remedy for the not, uh, for the. Uh, for why we are the way we are. See, God's Word is not just a book. God's Word is His instrument to untangle the knot of sin's deception. So what can I challenge you to do? Nothing else, just this. Open God's Word and obey God's Word. Treasure God's Word with me. And you will walk into a life that's soaked in satisfaction and consumed with contentment. Will you bow your heads with me, please? As we gather together here in your presence, O oh Lord, I pray that you would speak to those who have gathered here who are part of your family of faith. I pray that you would challenge us to be obedient to your word, knowing that it's your word that leads to life, to satisfaction, to hope, to peace. I pray that you would challenge us when we um, have ideas or thoughts, ways of living that are contrary to your word, that are not consistent with what your word says. I pray that you would convict us and then call us to obey your word. I pray, Lord, that we would have a renewed commitment to delight to treasure your word so that those who are part of your family through faith in Jesus will be like trees planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. Whatever he does will prosper. Now, as we sing praise to you, O Lord God in heaven, I pray that you would do the work that your spirit has already begun. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.